Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to be here with the next episode of the Whole Life Challenge podcast. This is Andy Petronic. It's the first day, second day of the Whole Life Challenge. If you're, if you're listening to this, it's either Saturday or Sunday. The challenge has begun. It's not too late to get started with us if you missed the starting gun. We keep registration open for about seven days, a little longer than seven days after the start of the challenge, so it's not too late. But um, I wanted to tell you about my guest this week because my guest is the the topic that he's going to talk about is digital detox, which is happens to be your lifestyle practice for this week. And his name is Joe DiStefano. He is the current director of sport and training initiatives for the Spartan race. And um, I'm going to tell you more about him in the intro in about seven minutes, eight minutes. Um, But I want to talk a little bit first about this first week of the whole life challenge. Now, the game's begun. So you've prepared. Hopefully you've already prepared. If you haven't prepared and you're listening to this, it's Sunday. You need to spend some time in your kitchen. I mean, it, it just, you just need to set you need to set your life up. Well, let me tell you something. One of the reasons we had a long standing debate over what day of the week to start the whole life challenge. The very first one started on Saturday and we've never deviated from starting on Saturday. And the reason continuously comes back to people need people that have waited till the last second to either sign up or to get their life in in alignment with the whole life challenge need the weekend to get set so what get, what does getting set look like well it here are the couple of the big things that that i recommend you do right away is number 1 just get rid of the stuff that's laying around your kitchen. Look, if you li- live in a home where there are other people in, around and you can't just throw stuff out, put them away. Put the things that are you know are going to cause you strife and difficulty during this challenge. Just put them so that they're harder to get to. Put them on an upper shelf. Hide them somewhere that you don't re- may not may or may not remember. And even if you do remember, they're a little bit harder for you to get them to. Get them out of your the the beaten path, the ordinary path, just so that there's a moment of pause before you get your hands on whatever it is you get your hands on. The other thing that I find really useful is to make a list of the places, the restaurants, the markets, the places you can go in your neighborhood, near your home and near your work that are obviously good choices for whole life challenge compliant meals. You you want this list easily accessible during the challenge so that you don't have to think you want to make, you want to, and do you get the pattern here? The things that you don't want to eat, you want to make difficult to find. And the things you do want to eat, the places you want to go, you want to make easy to find. Most of us have this set up backwards in our life. We know where the ice cream places are. We know where the junk food places are. We know where the in and out burgers and the fast food restaurants are. We don't know that necessarily know the healthy, the places we can actually get healthy meals. And we have all the crap food 
easily accessible all over the place and right in front of us. So um, get yourself set up that way. Um, Another thing that I like to do is to identify one or two stretches that are going to be my go-to stretches over the course of the challenge. Like one or two, I guess really one or two body parts. So maybe it's your calves, maybe it's your hamstrings, uh, maybe it's your shoulders. And, and then identify, once you've identified a body part, then identify one or two stretches that are your go-to stretches that you know if it's 10 o'clock at night, you've forgotten about your mobility practice, you don't have to think. You don't have to research. You don't have to look for a YouTube video. You know what to do. If it's your hamstrings, it might be as simple as bending over from your waist and hanging and touching your toes for 10 minutes. For some of you, that's a long time. So maybe it's two minutes at a time, standing up slowly in between each two minutes. Um, If you're doing your calves, that's not going to work so well. So you have to figure something else out for your calves. Um, The same thing goes, go-to stretches and go-to workouts. I like to have three to five go-to workouts that I know, again, I want not, I want to eliminate the need for thinking. So I know if push comes to shove, it's whatever time you work out, say it's 5 PM, you have forgotten your workout clothes in your car. You can't go to the gym. You have to go home, you go home and you know, you can go to this list and you can do just simply do one of the workouts. One of the ones I love is it's very simple 400 meter run, which I know I have a little course in my neighborhood where I know 400 meters, which is a quarter of a mile and uh, 40 squats. And I know that if I do four, that four times through, I run a mile and I do 160 squats. That would be a great workout for me. Might not be the best one for you, but it, that, that one works for me. That's a great go-to workout. Great example of one. So um, get yourself set up. This first week, here's, let me, let me talk also about the first week. It's very easy to go gangbusters the first week and maybe even proclaim how easy it is. Maybe even do more than what's required. You know, um, it's fine to be motivated. It's fine to be excited. It's fine to go, go crazy. It's not, it's fine to, it's not required. So I like to ease into this. And some of this is in knowing your personality and knowing how you respond to these kinds of beginnings and these kinds of rules. Um, I, re- I love the work that Gretchen Rubin has done with her books in identifying the four tendencies. She has a book actually coming out. Boy, it should be coming out right about now. Um, called the four tendencies. Uh, she, she's done a lot of work on happiness and you have a tendency in how you take action. I'm, I'm not going to go into more detail now about that, but um, check out her stuff. It's really great. The, uh, she, she's actually been a guest on the podcast and we're going to have her back on the podcast hopefully soon to talk about her new book. Um, so, uh, and by the way, if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, it's a great one to go back and check out. So please do. Um, what was I talking about? Knowing how you take action. So how you start the challenge 
you're, it's eight weeks. I, I know I say this a lot and every challenge we have about 50% of the people of the challenge or sometimes more who don't finish. Um, fin- you know, the idea is to set yourself up so that you'll finish. You'll make it through to the end, which just means showing up through eight weeks. And um, I, I can't overstate enough the importance of that. That alone is the biggest predictor of long-term success in your health and well-being. Your willingness to show up in spite of what you think you all, you need or you know or you've got or I got it down. So um, just consider that uh, in this beginning of the challenge and I'm really excited to have you on board with us. And if you're not in the challenge, if you're not in the challenge, please, um, that's that's fine too. You can play along at home. You can still join us. There's still time. Um, this is a great time for a commercial for our sponsor. Da, 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 da. Our sponsor today, guess what? It's the Whole Life Challenge. The, the podcast is brought to you by the Whole Life Challenge. And we do this. We don't have a sponsor for the podcast other than our own company, our own business. And we do it because we want to keep this... You know, we're not in the business of advertising information and we, uh, we, we, we're not opposed to having partners, but uh, it'll, it would take the right partner to, to have a partner, uh, in the, uh, as an ad for the whole, in the whole, in the whole life challenge podcast. So, um, it's like I said, when I opened this podcast, it's not too late to sign up. The end of registration is on September 20. Boy, I should have my calendar in front of me. I believe it's September 26th. I believe it's 10 days after the start. So anyone that has missed the start, you can still invite them. Uh, I encourage you to do so. And um, let's get on with a podcast, shall we? Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. My guest today on the podcast is Joe DiStefano. He is now the Director of Sport and Training Initiatives at the Spartan Race. He's been doing this, he's been working with the Spartan Race for about five years, He's got a Bachelor of Science degree in exercise and sports science from Fitchburg State University. He's almost completed his master's degree in sports psychology. Um, He is a wealth of fitness, endurance, training, um, information, and resources. He the reason I wanted him as a guest this week in the podcast is he accidentally stumbled upon the benefit of digital detox in his own life. And I wanted him to tell that story. He's actually created a program. It's a very exclusive program. It's called Runga that he'll, we'll talk about during the podcast that was the, um, it was basically the epitome of his digital detox taken. He took what happened in his digital detox and created a program around it with a very small group of, 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 of friends that participate with him. And, um, this podcast, we talk about 
all kinds of stuff related to Spartan race, all kinds of things about endurance and training. We talk about kettlebells. Um, Joe has a lot of experience with kettlebells, but we also talk a lot about um, detox and yoga and, you know, disconnecting from the very connected world that we live in, live in and the benefit of that to everyone and why it's so important. Uh, we talk about the incredible importance of breathing. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, logically that breathing is important because you die without it, but how focusing on your breath can have a massive positive impact on your entire life. Um, it's a really, I mean, like I said, Joe is just a really fun guy and really, really knowledgeable and super ex- expert at what he does with Spartan Race. So uh, it was really an honor to have him on the podcast, and I know you'll get a lot out of this. So sharpen your pens and pieces of paper, get them ready to take notes, and welcome Joe Stefano. All right. I'm making a phone call here. I'm calling Joe Stefano. He's my guest today on the podcast, and we're trying something totally new. Joe and I have never spoken in person before. He was referred to me by one of my last guests, uh, Eric Remensberger, and it just, it just so turns out he, I listened, I happened to be listening to the Ben Ben Greenfield podcast the other day, and he happened to be a guest on it. So I know a little bit about Joe, but I'm trying to figure out. Oh, there we go. I'm calling him right now. We're trying something new. And, uh, which is recording, having never spoken before, never done that before. Andy. Hey, Joe, how you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, by the way, we're recording already, which I've never done before. So, uh, (laughs) from the first words, uh, we've ever spoken together, we are recording. (laughs) We're on. I think that's so awesome because, you know, I think, you know, I'm a big podcast fan and I think a lot of times the podcast guests, they say, you know, oh, you know, right before we started recording, you know, we were talking about this and really dove deep and, you know, and I didn't want your listeners to have that experience. And I think this morning when I woke up and got your email that we had a little misunderstanding, it was a great opportunity to kind of, to kind of get out in front because I think... One thing I really think people need to do is live a little more spontaneously and a little le- with a little bit less security. So totally. our first words ever being recorded, we'll see if we learn our lesson. or Well, if we, well uh, it was very funny this morning, the interaction this morning, because in my head, I've always, you know, when Eric first introduced me to you on email, I've always thought, oh, you'd, you'd make a great guest on the on the podcast. And um, uh I, 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 this is just for everybody listening right now. I assumed in my head that I had invited Joe to be a guest on the podcast. And so we're talking about talking this morning and we're going to, you know, da, 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 da. And I said, well, what's your Skype handle so we can record this on Skype? And he goes, you know, Joe's response was, I didn't know we were recording anything. So I had been playing this script in my head that, uh, you were going to be a podcast guest, but that I'd never communicated that to you. So I, <laughs> it's pretty freaking yeah. hilarious. It was like an email. Hey, you know, you two should meet. And then, uh, you know, a couple of weeks went by and, and here we are. So, um, so yeah, now we're meeting an and we're time. recording. It's cool. It's great. No, I, but I, I'm, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I know a little bit more about you than I knew about 36 hours ago because I listened to the latest, your latest, uh, podcast episode with Ben Greenfield and it just happened to show up in my podcast feed. So, 
Um, so, so you know, I I know a little bit more about what I want things I want to ask. We we actually have a shared, um, you know, the Spartan race evolved out of. Um, adventure racing and my background in adventure racing was you know i was pretty extensively involved i was in the eco challenge five times i did uh, all the high-tech adventure race series is the balance bar series they were all team races team right. adventure races and way more logistics oriented way uh you know way smaller than anything you've got going on but but uh, but uh yeah i did it for like eight years i was sponsored by red bull it was a kind of big part of my life that's that's amazing and and you'll be happy to know i'm sitting on the floor of my place right now in boston staring at ian adamson's bike wow who <laughs> wow i'm sure you know of course yeah so he actually won a world championship or two on this bike and, and that's a funny story i can tell if you want me to sure but, um, sure well what how do you what's your connection to ian how i mean and i don't really know anything <laughs> about your background how you got started in uh you know spartan so you know right. i'd love to love to find out more um more about it yeah, yeah. Let's let's kind of jump in. So, uh, and actually, real quick too is you know obviously I'm I'm learning more about you as well. And and when I went into your podcast this morning, when I realized I had two hours to be a guest, um, it was it was like looking at my cell phone contacts. You know, you've got Eric Remensberger, Aaron Alexander, all guys, John Durant, all guys that that I know well and have even worked with in some capacity. So um, I'm really excited to be a guest, and I hope that this show um, there might be the three people I just mentioned. I feel like this show might be a little bit of a little bit of each of those shows because I feel like those cool. I'm really kindred with those guys. But um, my connection with Ian is pretty funny. You know, Joe DeSena, who's the founder of Spartan Race, and yep. and that's kind of how I became Joe Di. Is that you know all of a sudden there was this this company emerging and there was there was two Joes kind of in the the quote leadership team of the the company. So I have to lead into a lot of conversations. But let me start by telling you I didn't write any books and I'm not Joe DeSena. Was it um, D? So it was was it Joe De and Joe Di? Joe or, D.E. and Joe D.I. That's, that's great. Right. That's, that's great. Right. So it was, it was pretty hysterical. <laughs> but back in the day, he used to race adventure races as well and, you know, became friendly with with Ian Adamson, who yeah. was, you know, for those that don't know, he's he's kind of the, he's a legend, I don't know, the Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah. He's a legend. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, Michael Jordan of adventure racing. And so, uh, you know, obviously I met Ian a couple times and, and now Ian is actually dabbling in uh, obstacle racing. So oh. he is the um, what's his title? The president of the international federation for obstacle racing which again was born from adventure racing right. and that's a, an organization i work closely with because i'm in you know i kind of oversee sport at spartan race so right. making a legitimate sport out of this mass participatory offering um that's on tv and people can be professional athletes again and and compete for a lot of money so my job today is kind of is managing that sport and from an international side I work with Ian closely to make sure that we were beginning with the end in mind and that someday we could grow to the kind of the highest levels of international competition. So um, that's how I know Ian. Uh, my background real quick. I think you asked it. Um, I, I grew up. I have kind of an interesting story that maybe we'll, we'll dive into some more. Um, but um, some of the things Eric said on his podcast with you, I think, tie nicely. Um, but, uh, you know, I went to school. My undergrad is in exercise science. I wasn't really you know, a super, I wasn't really into running at all growing up. I played other sports, baseball, skateboarding. Um, but I was pretty athletic in those things. But when I got to college, one of my professors was like, you know, I got a hundred mile run this weekend. And I didn't, I couldn't really comprehend that. I was a freshman in college and I didn't know that the body could do that. And it literally kind of created this attitude in me that, 
you know, if this guy can run 100 miles, then I should be able to do a half marathon with basically no training. Right. Um, and so I kind of started dabbling into the endurance world. And, and um, long story short, tried to really um, type A my way through that, that sport. So um, as an exercise scientist, you know, you're, you're doing sweat tests and you're trying to figure out, you know, how much salt you need to replace, how many carbohydrates mm -hmm. you need, how, how much hydration you need to do. Uh, what kind of shoes you should wear. And you try to just really control everything. And I feel like it's really kind of contrary to my personality to kind of do that. I think I live with more spontaneity and, and a little bit more um, uh, kind of chips fall where they may. Yep. And I feel like it was so interesting because when I kind of really started to not make it in the competitive sense, but at least be able to finish events I signed up for uh, that were that were maybe challenging. I did a, a half Ironman and and things like that. It was, I really have never felt so kind of burnt out. And so I, I hung it up and kind of got more into flipping tires and just getting fit again. And then in 2010, 2011, Spartan rolled around and it was, you know, there was no point in wearing a heart rate monitor. There was no point in trying to figure out how much sodium you're going to need because you're just going to, you're going to go out there and you're going to figure out what's out there because there's really no way to prepare. And it was such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I really got addicted to it. So here we are seven years later and uh, I'm, I'm still here. So it's interesting. I, I share a lot of the same similar uh, background in my desire uh, to get involved in adventure racing when I did. Um, <clears throat> you know, I always used to joke that uh, adventure racing was the endurance sport for people with ADD. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I just couldn't stand rowing because rowing was linear flat and in my mind boring and and hard really hard and boring and same with road cycling like road cycling was you could do it but you just have to decide you're going to do it forever and just you know grit your teeth close your eyes and just go and um adventure racing was just like it was constantly changing constantly new you couldn't really fully prepare because you never really knew what you were going to face and that to me was just incredibly exciting. Yeah, I always used to um, outrigger paddle, and uh, a lot of my training was in a on a surf ski and on an outrigger paddle. And you know, my friends would say, "Well, you should be out rowing," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd rather be able to, you know, fall into the water and surf waves and and uh, you know uh, catch bumps out in the middle of the Pacific rather than you know sit in the marina harbor and um, you know be in flat water." So, yeah, no, it's I get the breath of fresh air. It's a total breath of fresh air. It is. You know, I think the lesson really, if I kind of distill it down, it's like the fewer variables you try to control or think you can, the, the fewer can go wrong. Right. So if you if you have those your kind of expectations uh, set in the right place and you don't think that you've got this thing completely under wraps, then you're going to find yourself having a much better time and, and probably having more success. Uh, because you have less preoccupation and, and things are just, everything seems to be going your way instead of against it. At least that was my experience. I remember my first marathon was in Hyannis and actually, you know what? It was the half, it was the first half marathon I ever did. And I had this fuel belt on that I still remember. And I was like, you know, here's my salt and here's my carbs and here's my water. And my, I remember the ASICs I had, and now I probably look back and they were probably like a, 40 millimeter drop or something, right. you know, it was like right. walking like on heels. the moon. Yeah. Right. And you know, I had done all the sweat tests and I had tapered perfectly and I peaked my training and I knew I had, you know, mathematically, here's why I'm going to rock this thing. And I stepped in a puddle 
a like a big uh, I almost called it a crater, a pothole in the street that was you know it filled it basically submerged my entire moon boot. Yep. Um, and you know so that was mile two, and so now I got eleven miles to go, and it's yeah, right. And yeah. it totally just my mind. It was it was insane what it did to me because I was I was fighting myself to keep going because I, again I thought I controlled everything and there was one thing I didn't control and that's that I would step in a puddle. So uh, I think if I had fewer expectations and fewer preparations, I might have had a much better time. And, it's uh, funny. That's a really funny story. Uh, it reminds me of a story of one of the races was in the Bronx in New York and. Um, um, it was funny. The, the The race was sponsored by High Tech, which was a shoe company at the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges in this race was so you had a three person team, two men and a woman, and you had to. There was a there was a rope tied. I don't know if it was twelve feet up in the air. You had to unlace one teammate's shoe and get the shoe and tie it to this this rope that was twelve feet up in the air. So you obviously had to use teamwork to get your teammate up there. But that teammate didn't have a shoe and that teammate was me and that was before a 10k and uh i got about i don't know half a mile into the 10k and i'm trying to run peg leg you know one one foot barefoot and we're in the bronx so we're we're going we're on we're on pavement we're on pavement then there actually was a lot of trails in this park we were in but um i just decided the hell with this i can't run I felt I felt like a you know three legged dog, so I just took the other shoe off and I ran the whole thing barefoot. Um, you know, never had done anything like that before, and put my feet on ice as soon as the thing was done. But you know, persevered and and um, it was a it was kind of ironic that you know this here was this this shoe company sponsoring the the, the race and I couldn't wear the shoes. It was uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, it is, but I bet you, I bet you finished that run and felt just like an, an unbelievable sense of accomplishment and glee. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that you just did this thing and you shocked you that, I, that that was possible. Shocked that that was right. possible. Like, and I, I didn't need. I wasn't a cripple afterwards. I didn't need my. You know, I didn't need to throw my arms over my shoulders, uh, over the, my teammates' shoulders, in order to make it. Um, it was, it was shocking, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but that was my first entry into barefoot running, which. I've done a crap load of, uh, I mean, not, I haven't done full barefoot running, but, um, I worked with the Viva, Viva barefoot people and, um, became a very barefoot running coach. And, you know, that's really every, anything that I do. And I, when I work with people on running, it's all barefoot style running with no drop or, or, you know, barefoot style shoes right. or, um, or very little drop. I use, usually use minimus, um, now shoes, which are like, like one millimeter or two millimeter drop. Right, kind of, kind of a good example of how some spontaneity and and maybe some insecurity can change your change your life, right? Sure, right. So you right. know your first your first dabble into this was by by necessity, right? right. And um, and I think a lot of times, you know, I, one of your podcasts that I was listening to with one of my buddies this morning, it was about how you know we we do you know we kind of we want to feel secure in in all we do, yet sometimes when we get a taste of insecurity, it really changes us. Um, and so there's a really interesting conundrum where the thing we try to avoid is the thing we need. And, and right. I mean, obviously Eric's story, I mean, there's, there's no bigger kind of, um, you know, he explains, he explains getting hit by the truck or, or getting the rocks dropped on him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for those uh, of you that so, haven't heard that podcast, you should go back and listen to it. It's like three episodes ago, I think, or two episodes. And Eric basically 
was in a in a in a you know like thirty seconds he was diagnosed with cancer had been a very fit person for about twenty years or no about ten years no oh, no twenty years about twenty years and um didn't think he had any concern in the world about cancer or anything that could you know take his life from a health standpoint and suddenly boom he had stage four prostate cancer and he uh spent a year basically changing his life turning his life around and curing and i i can't i can't say curing it but i i want to say that but he's not cured he he still got it he will have cancer forever but it's in complete remission and it's an amazing cool story um how he did that so yeah listen to that podcast Eric is Eric is just an amazing guy. He's a guy I really look up to, and um, it, his story is just incredible. And it's it's a great story. It's just it's no different than you decided to take off the other shoe. Right. It's right. sometimes you know we're met with this massive chunk of adversity and this and this this maybe this grim prognosis or what have you. And you know you can either you can either fight or flight, right? And um, and yeah, his story is, is pretty, is pretty great. And, and your podcast with him is, is tremendous. So everybody should definitely go listen to that. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the really cool things about Spartan. And, um, I mean, I love the fact it was always a problem. I remember back in the adventure racing days to get people to watch. It was not watchable. It was not, you know, it's long and a short race was three and a half hours. That was the sprint distance. Right. And, you know, and then there were the logistics of boats and and uh, bikes and um, uh, and then getting your whole team there. And, you know, it was a big under for us. I, I budget for the year was around 50 grand to travel to all the races and to transport all the bikes and gear and stuff. It was right. a big thing. And yeah. uh, I love how obstacle racing. It's interesting to me that 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 no one thought of that back in the nineties. <laughs> like, I mean, it's weird to me now that it's, you know, the cat's out of the bag and it's, it's so big and really cool. Like that was the, I don't know if, if, if you call it an answer, but, but obstacle racing is to eliminates all those, all those things and, and keeps the great elements, which, you know, like this, the, the need to be able to deal with adversity on the spot without knowing what's coming, you know, I think is just phenomenal. Right. And I think that, you know, timing is everything. And I think that, you know, maybe if, if Spartan was, is, was kind of debuted in 1993 instead of 2010, you know, maybe it wouldn't have got off, got right. off its feet. You right. know, it's, um, if the exogenous ketone business tried to launch in 1995, I don't know how much luck they would have had. Right. Um, right. so I think that's part of it. And I think a lot of these folks, you know, we've got this massive push to be fit and to move and to run specifically. I mean, look at the the participation numbers of the New York City Marathon in nineteen, I don't know, seventy five and nineteen two thousand five, right? My, my guess is that it's you know nine guys and ninety thousand guys. So yeah. I think that there's there's this really big push to get people moving over the past, we'll say, ten years. It's exploded, and obviously it's been the past twenty or so. Um, but I think that there's also this kind of life cycle, just maybe like you and me, definitely me, um, where you kind of dabble and then you start to get, you know, some experience under your belt and then you start to look around, well, what else can I do? And, um, and so I think the time 2011, 12, 13 specifically, I think there was a lot of people kind of looking around and, and looking for ways we used to joke that Spartan was a bunch of couch potatoes and board triathletes. 
because it was like right. you know either either competitive athletes that that just wanted something new or or people that you know maybe they had dabbled with running but it just wasn't exciting enough yep. and um and and here we are so uh we have a there's gonna be a million it's crazy to even say a million people are gonna run a race this year wow a spartan wow and um is there a standard and, distance uh spartan distance that is uh that you guys have um i don't know settled upon i don't know is that is there such a yeah thing? yeah yeah so we have three distances right and it's meant to kind of be a that's meant to be a driver, right? So you yeah. have our sprint, super, and beast. So the sprint is is three to five, and the super is eight to ten. And all we tell you about the beast is that it's going to be over thirteen, and um, it's it's typically under fifteen. So you've got these these three tiers, which is another piece of kind of you know maybe gamifying it a little bit, where right. you know you run a sprint, it's a gateway drug, and then you you find yourself wanting to do the super, and then we offer this this thing called the trifecta, where if you do all three in a calendar year, you get an extra special medal. And, um, so now you've got, you've got the bug and, uh, and then we've got some offshoot events too. We do some in stadiums. We do some really long ones that we call the ultra. We do, um, we have a lot of other products too, that, that are kind of on the, on the horizon, really short courses. Um, so we're always, we're always innovating. Does each location have multiple distances? So you can, if you sign up for an event in, uh, you know, Temecula or something, can you do, can you choose beast or sprint or, you know, or, or are they, yeah. are they unique to their location? Yeah. It depends on the venue. It depends on the location. Uh, so many of them have two distances. So much of the time, if we do a, we'll say a super, the mid grade, mid distance event on Saturday, it's not unusual. We'll drop a sprint on Sunday. Got it. Um, we also have, um, trifecta weekends, which are kind of the talk right now where we do all three events in one weekend oh, and, cool. and there's, there's people out there that do all three events. Right, so they run the right. really, the really long one on Saturday and then the two shorter ones on Sunday back to back. So, um, it's, yeah. So it depends on the race, but, um, it's, it's typical that there's two distances or more. And is there a standard number of obstacles? Like, do you have a ratio of like, there are five obstacles per mile or two or, or is it just random? Yeah. So, um, you know, the sprints always going to have about 20, the super always have about 25 and the beast will always have about 30. Um, sometimes we throw some extras in. It's not always by the mile because, you know, some of these, uh, some of these, uh, obstacles, they, they require pretty large build pads and things like that. So if we got a, you know, we might have a mile of trail running where we don't have anywhere to build because it's tight single track or something. So, um, but yeah, the, there's always a standard number and there's, there's also kind of standard obstacles for each distance, right? So if you run a sprint, you know, there's going to be a rope climb, there's going to be a spear throw, there's going to be some six, seven, eight foot walls. Right. Um, if you run a beast, there's going to be, the obstacles are going to get harder. Um, right. and, and you'll still have your spear throw and your standard ones. So with each distance, you might get kind of a few extra and a few tougher obstacles each time you step up. Now, did you get involved in it because you love doing them or like from a, did you get involved from a business standpoint because you love doing them and you just were like, I got, I want to do this for a living or how did you get pulled into the business of, of, uh, of helping grow the movement and grow the, grow the race? Yeah. Well, if you want the true story, so basically what's no, funny I, I is I want fake, I want all fake, just make something. You up. want the, cause I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so so Joe, Joe D E, yeah. uh, DeSena, he's a, you know, he's an adventure racing guy. And, uh, he also, you know, after that he kind of dabbled in Ironman and he's got a very impressive kind of race resume there. Um, 
And so what's funny is when he first started, it was 2004 and I was, you know, still in college at that time. And, uh, my professor who ran the hundred miles, his name's Dr. Jeff Godin. He, um, he was like, Hey, you know, you're starting to get into this. I signed up for this race called the death race. Uh-huh. And I was, I was kind of like, that doesn't sound very fun. Is I that mean, the one I up, my, in, up in New England? It's in Vermont. Yeah. Vermont. So yeah, where it was, it's, Good it's God. no longer, no longer going on. Right. Um, but, um, for, for maybe like, for perhaps obvious reasons, right. <laughs> 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 but I was like, you're going to be out of your mind. I'm right. not doing something called the death race. I'll run nine miles today if you want. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, as long as I know the terrain, where we're going to be and what time we're going to be back. So, um, he goes and, you know, he didn't have much success. He's like, it was so epic. You know, uh, uh, you know, we had to bring rocks to the top of a mountain in a wheelbarrow for 24 straight hours. And I, you know, I, I quit because my back broke or something, you know, it was just some yeah. ridiculous story. Yeah. And, um, I was like, that doesn't sound very fun. So the next year he says, Hey, you should come back and do the death race with me this time. And I was, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> 2006, 2007. So he keeps going back. Huh. And every year this event, basically the event, it wasn't time capped. It was, this event will end when 85% of the starting field is done and they quit. <laughs> it's crazy. And it was crazy. outrageous and you never yes. knew what it was going to be. Right. So you didn't know if you were going to get there and have to do a century bike ride or you didn't know yeah. if you were going to get there and have to do, you know, wheelbarrows up and down a mountain for 24 straight hours or, yeah. you know, you didn't know. And so to me and kind of an exercise scientist brain, like why would you ever put yourself through something you couldn't train for or you couldn't yeah. understand? And I just couldn't, you know, I kept telling Jeff, like, I don't want to go hang out with you and that lunatic Joe yeah. up in Vermont. Like, I don't get it. It's not appealing. And um, 2010 or 11, whenever it was, 2010 is when Spartan started. I think Jeff and I kind of got involved um, 2000, early 2011 or somewhere. And he was like, hey, that, you know, the lunatic Joe is putting on a race and it's in <laughs> Vermont. And it's, it's, a, it's a 5K. I guarantee you're done in under an hour. But he's like, but it's a lot like the death race. And so I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll just go do this. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history, but the kind of true story is I didn't know that that was actually going to ever be a thing. So, right. you know, at the time I was managing, uh, I had a gym that I owned and I managed a franchise of gyms, um, for somebody else. And I, you know, I had never dreamed at that time that I would work for this guy that I'd been avoiding for six years. Right. And this race that I didn't really, that I thought was really fun and really cool, but I didn't really, you know. I didn't think it was going to actually turn into a million person sport. Right, um, right. And so that was kind of the beginning. And then I started working on some stuff with Joe and Dr. J and, you know, Tuesday, Tuesdays, Tuesday nights turned into Tuesday and Thursday nights turned into right. Tuesday, Thursdays and weekends. And, um, 2012, I came on kind of full time and hung up everything else. And, and here we are. Um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been quite a ride. Uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Did you excel yourself in the sport? I mean, are, are, I, I don't know. Since we've never met before, I don't really know your athletic prowess. Uh, are you a uh, you know four, sub five minute miler? Are you a uh, cyclist? Like, what's your what's your background? And what d did you? Are you like a super duper Spartan racer? Yeah. So I mean, I like to consider myself a super duper Spartan racer, but it's really not the case these days. And you know, you've been involved with CrossFit. And you probably remember, you know, the early days, I remember, you know, a lot of my buddies were in the CrossFit games uh -huh. and now they can't even make regionals. Yeah, right? I, was in, so, I was in the games in 2009 and there was, right. there'd be no chance. At, I mean, not even, <laughs> even 2010 
when I, right. when I went to the games in 2010, I was like, I, I couldn't do this. Right. One year later, I couldn't have done, couldn't have made it. It's wild, right? So yeah. in the very, very beginning when there was, you know, 98 people at the race, I mean, I, I could do pretty well. But today right. we have 10,000 and there's, you know, Olympic trials guys and, yeah, right, you know, right, it's right. it's a serious sport. So, I mean, today, if I come in top 170, I'm happy yep. and um, and that's it. But, you know, my running genetically, I'm not a real fast runner. I'm, I'm pretty athletic. Uh, I'm really good at like I'd probably be good at Ninja Warrior. I've never done it, but I'd probably that's more my game. Yep, but yep. I enjoy running. I actually really like um, the longer stuff. So um, you know, I've done the Ultra Beast and the um, I like climbing mountains and things like that. And uh-huh. I do a lot of content series on the obstacles and obviously a lot of training stuff. But my athletes, I manage a team of twenty pro Spartan racers, and I mean, I've gone on runs with them, and they just—I mean, I either I either hang with them for a few miles and then pass out, or, or you need, a, you need like behind, an, you so. need an electric bike to just you know. Right, hang I need with something. Them. I need yeah. something. I was riding but, the other day. I was riding. Have you ever heard of a one wheel? I mean, a unicycle? No, no, no. It's a it's a thing. It's um it's a it looks like a skateboard. It looks like a cross between a skateboard and a and a snowboard. It's got it's literally a board with one wheel and the one wheel in the middle is looks like a go-kart wheel. It's a very wide and flat um it's inflatable. Interesting. And uh it it uses technology to keep it balanced. So you 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 push a button when you get on it or you, I, maybe you don't push a button. It just it just senses when you're uh horizontal and your you know your feet are horizontal and then it uses gyro stabilization to keep you stabilized kind of like a Segway. Right. And then when you lean forward, it moves forward. When you lean backwards, it slows down or or goes backwards. And um, it goes off road. It goes on road. It, it, you know, because of that wheel, you can hop curbs. You can, you know, bounce up dirt trails. Um, It's, uh, you can carve turns like you're on a snowboard. It's, they're incredibly cool. They're, they're pricey. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like 1500 bucks for one, which has stopped me from getting one. Uh, But, uh, like that uh, that would be a perfect tool. Like as long as you can keep up with your team and have good balance, that would be a really fun <laughs> fun thing to one yeah. wheel with your team. <laughs> right, 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 right. That'd be great. That would be would be really great. But you know, I think it's so funny. And um, I was just walking. I live in Boston, and um, the other day I was walking where I always walk my dogs, and these these kids just fly by at a thousand miles an hour on skateboards. And I yeah. thought I was in back to the future or something. Uh-huh. And, um, it's funny cause I, my athletic career, you know, my most successful sport was actually skateboarding. Um, I was a little bit competitive in that. And, yeah. um, it was so funny cause I was like, geez, man, technology, even skateboards, you don't even have to push anymore. You know, you just, yeah. you just stand there and you know, whatever mechanism it is, but these things were definitely powered. <laughs> and, um, so uh, I think kind of getting into like the John Durant more primal living, and that's right. kind of really where that's where Spartans at. That's yeah, where yeah, yeah. that's where I'm I'm at with a lot of my kind of other projects is just trying to get people uh, a little bit living a little bit more simply and a little bit more spontaneously because I think um, I think those things are kind of going by the wayside in so many ways. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, when I was listening to the podcast the other day with Ben, you, you guys were talking about, and now I don't remember the name of the event you have coming up um, down in Panama. Um, what, it, what is that? What was the origin of that? I know it's yoga based. It's maybe kettlebell based. It's, uh, it's primal living based. Uh, that's my interpretation, but heck you founded it. So maybe you can, um, give me some more, some more background. Yeah. You know, it, well, it's so funny, right? Because the event is called Runga 
and right. Ben's Rumgar. been coming for right. a couple of years and you know it was you know founded on accident so we're <laughs> we're course. letting we're letting each year kind of define um, we're letting each year kind of help shape it uh-huh. and um, it's it's so far so good so essentially the long story short is you know when I was when Spartan really hockey sticked um, I found myself on an outrageous number of flights in a short period of time. Right. Um, and I remember October, I was just, I taught a two day seminar and like barely remembered it. I was so jet lagged and just so kind of burnt from just t- intense international travel. What, Joe, month. what is your, sorry, sorry to interrupt. What is your job with Spartan? What do you, what do you actually do? Are, are you setting up races? Um, what, what's the, what's the job you do when you travel? Yeah. So, uh, essentially I, um, I've done a lot of things. So again, the startup mentality, right. It's like at one point it was seven or eight people and now it's 200. So, um, in that time, um, I've worn a lot of little hats and different hats. Um, but my primary role all along has been training in sport. So when somebody looks at Spartan, they say, you know, well, what do I train? How do I train? What do I wear? What do I eat? Uh, what do I bring? And, um, so over the years, you know, I've worked to create a lot of content around those three or four questions. And so today we've got, I mean, we've got certifications for personal trainers that, um, that want to get in because you and I know if you're a trainer, it's like, you don't learn how to teach a a member of the general population that might be overweight and not eating well to carry an 80 pound bucket up a mountain. Um, so I think that we have a certification that we've created that kind of bridges the gap. We've got another one that teaches people specifically how to do the obstacles. So how to do an S wrap, how to do a J hook, how to climb Mm -hmm. an eight foot wall. If you're five foot two, uh, you know, things like that. And then, um, and then obviously over the last few years, once the kind of training side really started to grow some legs, I started dabbling into more performance and sport, which was my passion. Um, I used to coach a lot of um, throwing and, and tennis athletes mm-hmm. back in the day when I had my gym. My first gym had a you know um, a, a batting cage in it, and I worked with a lot of ball players. Cool. Um, and so, kind of dabbling into more performance and sport, we we kind of um, we have a pro team. So now it's um, it's much more sport and high performance in my current world as whereas before it was 80 percent just regular training but um during the the kind of hockey stick is i was traveling around and teaching most of the travel i was doing was teaching um two-day workshops to trainers around the globe from from geez from over 10 countries at this point um what the sport is what the philosophy is how to train people for it and um, how to fuel, how to, you know, what to bring all those questions, right? Yeah. So you can launch training in your gym. And so worked with a lot of CrossFit gyms around the world, mm-hmm. worked with a lot of um, uh, other types of gyms. And, um, and that was the primary thing. And then over the years, obviously growing sports. So teaching people how to, you know, how to manage an obstacle, how to referee this sport um, is, is kind of the other, kind of the other piece. So um, yeah. So anyways, after, after a couple of years, I was, you know, my sleep was, it was so funny because my, my first time I ever met Ben Greenfield, I was like, you know, I'm so glad we met. This was back then. And I was like, you're the guy that could probably actually fix my sleep because my sleep was just destroyed. Right. And, um, 
And so long story short is I went on vacation and uh, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to bring either one of my computers and I'm going to I'm going to charge my phone, but I'm not going to bring the charger because I want to make sure I wow. really digitally digitally detox yeah, here. And I'm going to go to that's Coast. commitment. Serious. Wow. That's great. Well, I, I, I realized I realized that um, I needed to do something profound because I realized that. Uh, I think my email inbox had 10,000 emails in it or something at that time. And I realized that just picking my phone up was creating a stress response. Sure, right. And I, I thought of this again when I was listening to um, Eric's podcast this morning. And he says, like, we're all cancering. He uses cancering yes, as a verb he does. That's right. because we all have cancer. And typically, you know, our body and our immune system is really good at combating the bad and, and the good man, the good the, the hero always wins and the villain always loses. But sometimes the villain wins. And right. I think that we're doing that every day. So our, our, our email, our preoccupations, our stress, our cumulative stress load, our, our bad diet, each of these things, these are all little cancers, right? We're, we're cancering. And sometimes you've got to really go big to kind of get ahead, to give your body that kick to make sure the hero wins and the villain doesn't yeah. because stress can just dig you so deep. So it was so fortunate and so interesting. And this is another kind of piece of that spontaneity is when I got down there, I met a, a yoga instructor named Jules, and it was so bizarro. We were both supposed to be at this same retreat center in Costa Rica, and both of our events that we were going to be a part of got canceled, but neither of us neither of us accepted that fate and went. So her and I basically had <laughs> – <Wow. laughs> her and I both had we, – we had almost a 100-person retreat center almost to ourselves wow. for the entire week. Wow. And um, obviously got to know each other very well. And I was never really a yogi. I was never really into yoga. And all of a sudden with her, I did four plus hours a day of hot yoga wow. for eight days straight with no computer and no cell phone. Right. And um, and in between those things, I, I went hiking or zip lining or, you know, found something really cool to do yep. to kind of kind of again ground myself. And um, at the end of the week, I felt like a new person and, and I was committed to do it the next year. And the next year, I, I reached out to people that I really liked and people that I clung on to, experts in the field mostly. And I was like, hey, you know, Ben or Scott or whoever I bring, um, you want to come with me and Jules again? We're going to go down and do this thing, same thing I did last year. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of the, the start of it. And now we're getting 60 people a year to come down. And this year it's in Panama and I bring more and more experts every year, people that that I meet in my travels or that I meet through other, you know, like this call that we're on today. And, mm -hmm. um, and I bring people and everyone has something to share and something to offer. And it's really become something incredible. Um, and so, and so that's what it is, but it's, you know, yeah, there's kettlebells and there's yoga and there's surfing and there's amazing food and there's kindred spirits and there's these fitness experts, but the event is whatever you want, right? right. It's what do you need? You know, do you need to just sit on the beach for a week? Cause that's what you should do. Right. And, um, and so anyways, yeah, that's it. But that's um, amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I, I uh, it's funny because I I was um I was a marine back in the early days and when you were describing how difficult it is to get to this location because you didn't want to make it too easy to get there. Um otherwise it still feels like you're in civilization. Right. Um, I I trained in Panama. I did some jungle warfare training and I and uh I hadn't really thought about it in I don't know, this is like 30 years ago. And uh you know, we had to, we would, we landed at whatever airport, I think it was actually the commer a commercial airport we landed in and we had to drive across Panama Canal and, um, you know, it was probably like a three hour drive to get to where we did the training, which I don't know where, I don't know where it is. Um, yeah. 
but uh, it's it sounded very reminiscent of what what people have to go through to get to um, your thing. Yeah, you know, and it's um, it's undecided if we're going to continue to make it as hard as we did this year. But right. but but ultimately, the other thing too to remember is that I do all the heavy lifting. So right. Right. It, it, the the beauty is you're going to go somewhere no one you know has ever been, and you would never go because yeah, you would right. never do what we had to do to make sure you could get there. Right. Totally. <laughs> so that's kind of the piece of it. But um, but I think the big thing here is like just like you, you know, running the marathon with no shoes on or the 10K or whatever, it's like you just have to immerse yourself. You just yeah. have to, if you want to make a change, you got to do it. It's like, I remember um, um, when, I, when I first, when I was in high school, I bought a car and I was so excited and it was a standard. It was a manual transmission and I had never driven a manual transmission, but the next day I was driving that thing to school if it killed me. And my parents thought I was insane, but I was like, you know, bucking down the street. Mm-hmm. But um but that's how you learn is you yeah. just dive in. If you want to learn French, go to France. Um, we, we did a so thing. It, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to no, no, it's, it's, uh, and that's what rung is about. It's like, right. you might not know what you want to change or how you want to get spit out. But if you jump in, you're going to figure it out and, right. and the universe is going to tell you. We, we, um, uh, in the whole, I don't know. You probably don't know so, so much about the whole life challenge, but, um, in each challenge we do a weekly, what we call a lifestyle practice, that that changes week by week as the challenge goes along, and sure. one of those weekly practices always has to do with some sort of digital detox. Now we don't we're not we're not usually extreme in the detoxes. You know, like we we don't say okay for this week you have to leave your phone at home and not conduct your life. You know, conduct your life without your phone. We don't we haven't ever done that. Um, right, because you know it's a different environment. You're still in your life. You're not in Costa Rica or Panama and you're not doing this intentionally. Right. Right. But one of the ones we did about a year ago was no social media for the week. And, uh, literally no, no if you, if you, it, it, we, we're, we're always very clear that we, we don't mean that you, you can't, we mean that that's the, that's the practice this week. And if you do, you just don't earn your lifestyle points for that day. And, you know, with the exception being if you're in social media for your work, okay, you, you have to manage what, what's work and what's not work. Right. And, man, the backlash, the anger, the uh, even it, – it's just – look, guys, it's just seven days. You don't have to do it. You can lose your points. It was remarkable how it was almost like we were we were taking people's – you know, ability to actually live away from them. They were going to die that, that week if they didn't have their connection to social media and their, you know, they couldn't talk to their grandkids in, you know, in Germany or they, you know, didn't, they wanted to con- make sure they were still connected to all their friends that week. And it, 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 it struck me as, oh man, we need to do this more often because that is the kind of, poking and prodding that is so valuable in, you know, in people's lives. Like let's poke around and find the places that, that hurt a little bit and then engage and engage there. Um, and it's so valuable. It, it is. And I mean, you've probably, I'm imagining experienced getting somebody off gluten, right? It's like the, the person that's the most addicted is the person that needs it the most. Absolutely. And, um, and they're also the ones that have the reasons why they can't. I mean, look, hell, I'm speaking for myself. I've, exactly. I've had a very difficult time 
because I'm genetically capable, I don't gain a lot of weight. I, I'm in great shape. I, I'm athletic. I can eat bread until the cows come home, essentially, and there's no impact. So I, I, I am the person you're actually talking to. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, what's so funny, and, and here's the deal, is, you know, like Runga, as an example, is a once-a-year thing, and we typically have 50 spots. So um, we, we typically sell it. But I bet if I didn't make a mandatory digital detox part of it, we could probably sell 200 spots. Right. So it's a it's right. a massive turnoff for people. But here's the deal. After three years, four years of taking a lot of people's cell phones away for a week, this is how it goes. They don't want to do it. You know, oh, it's my alarm clock. Yeah. I got kids yeah. at home. I got my, you know, Aunt Sally. Yeah. Um, but granted, we have a follow up to all those points. Uh, we wouldn't bring 50 people to the middle of the jungle and not have you know, alarm clocks or something. Yeah. But, um, so, um, but here's the deal is like day one, they're anxious. Day two, they're anxious. Day three, they're sort of like, huh, like I actually feel a little relaxed. Here's the deal. <laughs> right. Day seven, they don't want it back. Wow. So last wow. year, at least 50%, at least 50% of my group, which was 60 people total, made a joke or reference to not wanting their phone back after a week without it. Wow. So there's this, just like, you know, um, fast, sometimes the first day is the most miserable. Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing with social. And you start to realize, just like I did five or six years ago, that this is, it's a real thing. And and the the space you make for creative thinking and, and emotional thinking and, and others and connection uh, grows exponentially with with every minute you're not tuned into something else because it's it's an addiction just like a just like a gambler rolls the dice checking your likes is is the exact same thing and yeah. um, it's 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 profound and and again every year I'm surprised at how hard it is to get people to do it and then how how kind of unanimous the feedback is after people actually do it. Yeah, I've I've recently, um, you know, I used to the alarm clock thing has always been my my excuse. You know, I would go to I would go to bed with my phone in airplane mode, and I would keep this um, alarm clock, which which actually is kind of useful because it starts at a very very quiet volume, and it doesn't wake my wife up when when it goes off. But I but I only need an alarm clock one day a week. I, I get up to teach a class at, at uh, CrossFit LA. Um, I usually get up at like 4.45 in the morning, and I don't naturally wake up at that time usually. Usually I'm, it's like 6 or 6.30. So I had adapted a strategy for the alarm clock with my phone and only needing that one day a week but using it every day of the week. And right. um, would regularly find myself you know, checking Instagram or just looking at news. It wasn't even a waste of time. It was like, okay, I'm looking at news. It was very justifiable. I'm right. You know, it's it's I'm I'm checking uh, the weather for tomorrow because I need to know what kind of pants to wear or whatever. And I'm, you know, want to be up to date on the uh, on the news. And uh, I about a month ago, I bought a little travel alarm clock. It's a tiny little thing from Amazon for 10 bucks and and it's battery operated, makes no sound. And I committed to no phone in the bedroom except for the night that that my that I have to get up because that alarm I have not found a, a analog alarm clock that will be as quiet as that one is and you know kind of right. useful um and uh it is it's earth-shaking the difference it, it, it didn't occur to me that that would really matter um 
you know, I also have a little thing I'm playing around with in the mornings to not check email or social or news or anything before an hour. What, what, once I wake up, the clock starts and I have an hour to not let stuff like that intrude. And, um, before that with the, with the immediacy of the phone in my hand, that couldn't happen. I, it's just, it's, it's there. It's on. I turn it out of airplane mode and it's, it's amazing the power of simply moving its location and making a little bit, making it a little bit more difficult to use. Um, it's had a profound impact for the last month. I don't even like to actually use my phone for the alarm clock anymore, but you know, my wife is, it, it, my, it makes my life rough when she wakes up at four thirty in the morning. So I'm used right. to, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. There's certain costs to doing business. Absolutely. No, but, but absolutely. And I think, you know, we have these eight kind of lifestyle habits we teach and, uh, one of them is control the first two hours of your day, uh-huh. because basically when you think about going out into the world, um, these things that we call stress, a lot of times those are, those are confounding, right? Like the real issue is you check your email at five forty-five, and you got an email from your boss that kind of got your cortisol jacked and, yep. and then you got up and you spilt your coffee because you were thinking about the email and then you ran out of toilet paper and then you missed the train. And then, right. so like all these things. And so, uh, those first, like you said, the first hour, the first two hours, whatever it might be, those are the most critical to, to get moving a little bit, kind of have some positive, positive thoughts in your life and listen to some relaxing music or something. Um, and obviously that's super challenging and, um, you know, with families and kids and jobs, but the more we can do it, the better, the more we can kind of not let things in. It's not, it's not controlling. It's just doing things to, to let the minimal amount of things in that could potentially um, knock us into a, a, the wrong trajectory. Yeah, I mean, and hell, if two hours seems like an exorbitant long time to you, if you're listening, start with 10 minutes. How about if you just right. avoided the phone? You know, I, my habit was to walk into the bathroom, sit down on the toilet, and check my, I would, I would read, I have a couple um, news emails I get, and then I would turn go to the wall street journal app and i would you know look over the daily stuff and i'd be there for 15 or 20 minutes um what if you just didn't do that you know what if you started with just reclaiming the first 20 minutes of your day or 10 minutes of your day it doesn't have right. to be you know look maybe yeah the mother load is two hours or even three hours but um start start where you are start you know where you can right absolutely and those things that i mean your whole life challenge I mean, these things add up, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's me telling people to do 10 flights of stairs a day, because if you do, you're going to climb Mount Everest in 10 months. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the type of thing that these things, these things really add up. And I was looking at, um, there was one, there was one thing just talking about inputs, just, uh, the number of piece, the, the number of chunks of inf- the, the, yeah, the number of information, the amount of information, excuse me, uh, that we actually need to process in a day. And, you know, uh, in the Paleolithic, there was five things a day that we had to really process and think about. Right, right. And, uh, you know, years later, there was 150. And in, in 1700, there was uh, 200. And, and today, there's like 100,000. Right, you know, it's like right. exponentially more. So those five minutes, like when you sit on the toilet and look at your phone, you know, you've got the Instagram pings, the Twitter pings, the yep. Facebook twings, you got the emails, you got the data, you got the CNN, you got this and you got that. You've got 
in the first 20 minutes of your day, you've got 600 things that you just dealt with. Yeah. And um, if you take that five minutes over time, that's an exorbitant amount of time that you've saved and, and an exorbitant amount of data you've saved your brain from having to process, which that's that cumulative stress load that just, just adds up and creates, in my opinion, a lot of um, negative health consequences. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it's almost, I don't know if you've read Rob Bulk's Wolf. Rob Wolf's latest book called Wired to Eat, but I like to use that title a lot um, because we are wired to be addicted to technology and addicted to phone cell phones. It's the odds, the the tables are stacked against us. It'd be like going to a soccer field to play soccer and the field is tipped at like a 30 degree angle and you're always playing uphill. And you, you, you just, you're, it's you have to re- recognize that it takes an extraordinary amount of effort to to let go of all the reasons you have for why that piece of technology is is valuable and um it's 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 hard we're we're, uh, we're wired to for some reason that's that's a hardwired in um and it's not necessarily a good thing. It can, I mean, I think technology is great. I love technology, but um, it has its place and its time. And it, and it also should not, not necessarily be overused. Right. And I think what you just said there, uh, let go. I think, you know, I think that's a mantra that could really serve people mm-hmm. when you, if you just, um, if you're feeling like you're trying to control too many situations or you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling stressed, you, you don't have to go full stoic and start contemplating worst case scenarios right. and everything right. else. But, but just telling yourself like just exhale and, and let go because, uh, you know, I talk a lot about, I talk a lot about breathing and, um, I think a lot of times in, in these, in our, in our daily life and all these things, it's like, it's like taking, little inhales like every time we try to plan something or we we try to we try to kind of um, deal with a particular situation a particular stress or make a decision as to how things are going to be it's like taking just a little bit of an inhale yeah and then if you just do that right now anybody listening just take like 10 little tiny inhales and just feel how high strung you are right feel how tight you are well that's the same posture everyone else is walking around with and so letting go and exhaling exhale is is a profoundly powerful thing that we need to all start doing. I've never heard uh, it called "exing hail" before. That's a fantastic word. <laughs> I think I, I I think I made it up. It's fantastic. Exhale. I, I do that all the time, uh, but th- th- I just I picked up on that. I'm like, that is beautiful. <laughs> hey. I'm in the zone, making up words. Just but, go, um, baby, go. It's like you, uh, John Belushi. It. It's like John Belushi in Animal House. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's it's amazing how how we're we're always playing uphill and we're always kind of locked in inhalation. So yeah. I think leveling the playing field and and exhaling hail is uh, that's the that's the secret I think to to uh, happiness I guess and success. Now, Joe, on what you, your definitions you are. also have an extensive background. Well, I don't know if it's how extensive it is, but in Russian kettlebell um, RKC and uh, yeah. use, use of kettlebells. Um, now how does that fit into, typically I don't think people think about endurance training, Spartan training, uh, and, you know, coupled with kettlebell training, it's not a normal, 
um, I don't know. It, they don't fit in a category that at least comes to my mind. Uh, maybe other people do. Uh, maybe I'm odd, but I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, I think that. Um, let's see. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this, and I, and I don't want to say that I have extensive. Uh, I am not. Um, I'm an RKC currently, but I failed the workshop before I passed it. That was a very funny I, story, by I, the way. Yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> I've been dabbling with kettlebells for a long time and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be good at them, but I know a lot of guys that are better at them. So, um, uh, so, so essentially to me, a kettlebell is an extremely athletic tool that allows, I mean, the, the sort of, it's very versatile and, um, and also it's, it's very, um, it's very teachable, but it's also something that I've just found through my own personal training and, um, we won't get get too into it, but I've had some very, very serious injuries in my life. And I felt like in the mid 2000s, just really trying to get good at barbells and deadlifts and back squats. It just it was like a square peg in a round hole. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, how how fit can I get before I before I hurt myself in some way, shape or form? And when I found kettlebells, it kind of allowed me that that sort of um, the ability to get fit without getting hurt. Hmm. And, um, and I think a lot of times people are using tools because they are, um, they're perceived as being the best tool for the job, but they might not be the best tool for the person in this moment. So, right. uh, right. kettlebells, if I had to say like what piece of equipment should almost everybody be using at all, any given moment, I would probably say a kettlebell. And I wouldn't say that about a barbell or, you know, right. to an ex to some extent, I wouldn't say that just about body weight training. So right. I think that kettlebells are just this amazing tool to me, um, that, that I've seen. But, but the other thing too, is just that they allow for, um, you can, you can really sustain movement. So, um, if you're doing swings, you can, you can swing for a minute and a half to three minutes. If you want to, you don't right. have to, you know, and I don't think I would ever do a three minute nonstop set of deadlifts. But it can become a very right. athletic thing. But the other thing, I think one of the most critical exercises that everybody needs, whether they're Spartan athletes or whether they're my mother, are carries. And I think that kettlebells are uniquely great at training carries. Whether yeah, Dan you're John in talks a, about that a lot. That's a big Dan John thing. I know that's – It is a big – yeah, it is a big Dan John thing. It's um, it's it's a huge thing for him and, and it's been a huge thing for me because our sport, you know, we always say it's Spartan. It's like the race doesn't start until the first heavy carry yep. because we, we might have somebody that bolts out of the start and runs a five-minute mile but then they hit an 80-pound buck, bucket of rocks to carry up a mountain and <laughs> – right. and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes the tides change. And, and I think that carries as an aerobic tool with kettlebells are, are an amazing, um, uh, way to get fit. And again, whether you're a Spartan athlete or not. So, um, between swings, cleans, carries, kettlebells are a pretty magical implement. Why kettlebells and not dumbbells? Like what for you is the difference, the distinction between those two things? Kettlebells are just a better tool for the job. You know, I could, I could, uh, I can unscrew a, a Phillips head screw with a flathead, but why would I use a flathead if I can use a Phillips head, oh, that's right? Cool. So um, that's that's sort of the name of the game, and and it has to do with just the weighting of the kettlebell in most cases. Right. So the kettlebell is a it's a cannonball with a handle. That weight is is going in one direction. There's no um, you don't if you have a fifty pound kettlebell, you don't have twenty five pounds on each side of your fist. Right. You've got fifty pounds that wants to go straight down to the earth right. and 
And when you control that, the, the results are far more athletic and, and far more dynamic, which um, I think as we, as we age, uh, whether we want to achieve high performance, we want to achieve longevity, um, those variables are, are far more critical to, to that uh, goal than, than would be the same movement modified to use a dumbbell. So how do you incorporate carries into your training and how do you know how much, you know, like for me, the thought that goes through my head is, do you do it for a mile? Do you do it? You know, do you do X amount of weight for a mile? Do you do a much heavier weight for 40 meters? Like what, how do you do it? Yeah. So, uh, it, it does, I will say it depends on the athlete, depends on the client, but generally speaking, if I had to say like, what's the commonality between, um, most of my programs, um, people always start with 10 minutes, usually on the fan bike. I'm a huge advocate, which I talked about on Ben's podcast, uh, 10 minutes on the fan bike and then a three to seven minute nonstop carry is kind of the other piece of the warm up, And that's done with lightweight. Um, I personally do five to seven minutes a lot with two 12 kilo kettlebells and there'll be, you know, it'll be two minutes at farmer's position, then a minute in the rack position, a minute in the overhead position back to farmers sometimes. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so you're just kind of using these light weights to further that warm up. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then in the actual workout after that, we might go to some mobility stuff. We might go to some get ups. We might go to some other things. And then in the workout, um, there'll be if it's an endurance athlete, they're going to be one plus minutes in length, um, usually uh, closer to two. And if it's general pop, depending on what we want to do, if we need to get their baseline of strength up so that their warm-up carry can become heavier, then they might do some shorter duration stuff. Um, with, a, with a Spartan athlete, a lot of times at the end of a workout, you might do a one-mile carry, yes, with something that's um, sub-maximal. So at the race, we'll, we'll have you, you know, a 60 to 80-pound weight for you know, upwards of half a mile. Mm -hmm. So we might use a 30 to 40-pound weight for a full mile. Um, at the end of a workout, and that might be at a 10% incline. And in, um, this, in the Spartan race, you can't bring it up to farmers or overhead, right? It's a bucket. So you're, you're not, you're, you, do you train that way in your training? Just you have to yeah. carry it in farmers? Yeah, so well, it depends. So we've got sandbag carries. We've got bucket carries. Right. Um, so the bucket has to be carried in a um, bear hug position. Okay. And the sandbags can be carried whichever way you choose. Um, so we'll do, we'll do, uh, we'll train specifically with athletes, but generally, um, we'll do quite a few overhead carries. And actually I do those more for the breathing, yep. uh, the breath benefits, um, uh, because it's really hard to not use your diaphragm if you've got weights over your head. Right. Um, same with farmers carry, I suppose. But, but the, the difference in position is, is more to do with facilitating different types of diaphragmatic filling than, than, than transference to the sport. Um, but if you're if you're in a bear hug position with the bucket, then perhaps the goblet squat position, um, you know, holding the horns of the kettlebell is a good is a is a transferable location for a carry. Yeah, if you've got no, one. If you've got one kettlebell. Absolutely, absolutely, and typically the heavier ones are done in goblet, um, right. in by the by the horns, right? Um, and those will be you know a minute or less. And then um, the, the lighter ones are done for longer durations, and it's double bell in rack. Right. Oh, in, in like a uh, um, up at, yeah, rack, a clean, a clean position. Yeah, yeah, yeah like the yeah, top yeah, yeah. of a clean. Yeah, yep, top yeah. front squat. Yeah, that's cool. Now, how, 
are your go-to workouts like for yourself? Are they typically kettlebell workouts? Are they body weight workouts? Are they, you know, you do a lot of travel, so you may not have equipment to train with. What do you right, do? Right. So I do a lot of body weight stuff. Um, and, and more, um, uh, I do most of my training is endurance based. Um, so push-ups, pull-ups and step-ups. If I'm, if I'm traveling, those are my go-tos. I really think those are great exercises and I'll typically do them in some kind of endurance based fashion, um, with, with certain levels of output that I need to hit. So, um, as an example, if, if we look at kind of the common circuit training, right, let's say we were going to do you and me, we we're going to do like push-ups, pull-ups and, and step-ups, and mm-hmm. we're going to do 10, 10 rounds. Okay. Um, we might get 30 steps a minute in our first round of step-ups and 17 rounds in our last round of step-ups, sure. right? Yep. And so that's, that's kind of a, a, de- a degrading output over time, which is kind of the opposite of endurance, right? So what, what I'll typically do is I'll do exercises. I'll, I'll come up with rep schemes or output levels that are, that are easy for 15 minutes and then are hard for another 15 and really hard for another 15. So an example of that might be um, uh, 24 steps a minute, uh, on, you know, a step up and we might do a three minute block and that might lead into a three minute block of pushups. And we're going to do eight pushups a minute. So I got to get 24 pushups in this three minute block. Mm-hmm. And then I might go to, uh, five pull-ups and, and I got to hit five pull-ups a minute for that three minute block. And so that's not hard for the first three or four rounds, but it's really hard for the second three or four rounds. And then the next three or four rounds after that. So those are my personally, personally, my favorite workouts, workouts that take 25 minutes to get hard. And then they just get harder and harder and harder. And they don't end till you cannot get that level of output. Um, that sounds cool. It sounds like a cool way to, that's like a, there was a workout I created a long time ago. We called it the vortex and it was similar. You, you, you vortexed yourself out because you couldn't keep up with the speed. It was a running workout. You had to run a mile and a half and, uh, every minute on the minute you had to do, I think it was three to five burpees and, and somewhere like five to 10 jumping lunges. And right. if you didn't make it, you know, the only way to finish the workout was to finish the mile and a half. But right. If you didn't make it, you vortexed yourself out. And that was the time. That was your time for the workout. Right. Um, which was always quite, uh, quite amusing <laughs> for people. Right. Like, Jesus, I only moved like 12 feet in the last minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but, but that's it. And, and anything you can do to kind of get people's minds into the workout. So it's not just, I, I really don't like suffer fests. Yeah. I really don't like, you know, I, I like some kind of call it gamification or call it something else, but something that you're really focused on. Like I got to hit, I got to get two more pull-ups this round and I got 20 seconds to do it. And then I'm going to be away from this thing for six minutes and I'll be right. thankful for that. So, um, something to kind of keep people super engaged and, uh, and, and, and also performing at a really, you know, a really cool level I've seen in myself and in athletes, just amazing results training this way. Hmm. And, um, and, and, and yeah, for sure. And I think with kettlebells, it's kind of the same deal. Um, it depends when I was training for the RKC, um, doing a lot of volume. And I, I hmm. talk about this a little bit on Ben's is just, um, I knew that I had to do a hundred snatches in five minutes with right. a pretty darn heavy weight. Yeah. And so, a one, it's a one t- and a half pood, right? It's a 24 kilo. 
it's a 24, but the best part was, and I feel bad that I didn't say this on, on Ben's podcast, is because I went in, I was under 160. I think 160 was the benchmark when I got to the RKC. Dan John was like, oh, that's a 22 kilo. What do you so mean 160? I went in, Your weight was – you were you weighed, weighed 160? Oh, got it. I weighed in at under 160, and I think if you're under 160, unlike the RKC of years past, it used to be if you're a guy, then you use a 24 because okay. – I think Pavel's thing was if you get in a bar fight, you're not going to be able to ask what weight class the person's exactly, in. Exactly. Right. And, um, and I like that mentality and, until you're a 150 pound guy trying to do a hundred reps with 24 kilos in right. under five minutes. Um, right. totally. so, um, so what was great was I was fully prepared. I actually successfully did the snatch test about a week before in LA, um, before my RKC and I was jazzed. And uh, when I got there and Dan was like, you're actually in the 22 kg weight class, um, a part of me felt horrible and a part of me felt stoked. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I finished the, the test in like four minutes. So um, but but what I did with that test was I, I wanted to master two things. I wanted to master um, the five minute time domain. And I wanted to master 100 unbroken snatches um, or as close to unbroken as possible. And so um, from a metabolic perspective, I did a ton of five-minute stuff. And whether that was a five-minute output or whether that was a five-minute interval with a short recovery repeated for a lot of times or um, it was 100 reps of something. So obviously snatches was the test. So I did a lot of sets of a hundred one arm snatches with way lighter weight than I was going to face, but I would do multiple sets. Um, and then just things like hundred burpee pull-ups for time and, and, and things that are annoying, but there's a hundred of them. And, um, just to kind it's a daunting get. number. It's a daunt. I mean, I you know I remember uh, back in the early days that I, when I got started with CrossFit, we did something called a hundred day burpee challenge, and it was do one burpee on day one, do two burpees on day two, and it, it, it's not a real smart thing to do. Um, uh, like I don't recommend people go out there and do a hundred day burpee challenge simply because it's just you you in week in the last week in the last ten days. You, let's see, you're doing ninety, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. You're doing like over a thousand burpees in that week and it's you're so <laughs> over the the front part of your body is so overtaxed you know shoulders and and elbows and there's no recovery and um but that number that hundred number is a is a mentally daunting number and i i um that's cool that you train at that number because i i think about it and i'm like i've done 100 workout 100 rep workouts before I don't particularly like them because they they mean it's going something's going to suck. Something's going to be hard. Something's going to challenge my will to keep going. It's going to challenge my will to hang on to a weight, a, dump, a kettlebell. Um and uh I don't particularly like that. <laughs> uh, exactly. No, like it doesn't matter what it is, like pull-ups, push-ups, yeah. burpees, burpee pull-ups, it always sucks if you do 100. Yes. And so um that's the number and and I think the the gateway drug to doing a hundred of anything is 10 reps on the minute for 10 minutes. And that's kind of a, um, it's a way to make it suck less. Yep. And yep. then you just keep reducing that rest period. And then you do a hundred and less in less time and, and try to get to five minutes, obviously. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's fun, but I mean, there's also, it's also a great number to have a standard for yourself. Like a hundred burpee pull-ups is a fitness evaluation. You know, how high was the pull-up bar and yeah. Um, make sure your chest, make sure your chest hits the ground. And, um, and you can do that every couple of months and, and just have that suffer fest 
every three months or whatever the number is. I and, get a little, I get uh, a little pukey feeling in my back of my throat when you say do that every couple of months. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> it's, it's so horrible doing it. it like doing it every couple of months just sounds terrible to me. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're getting better. And um, you know what's funny is the first time I did 100 burpee pull-ups was at Jim Jones. And I, I go uh-huh. hang out there maybe once a quarter uh-huh. because it's just my way of getting my quarterly lashing in. Sure. And um, it was so funny because Bobby Maximus, Rob McDonald, um, I remember you work out at, at Jim Jones, you work out at 9 a.m. and you work out at 4 p.m. And, and the 9 a.m. is usually a strength workout and then 4 p.m. is usually metabolic. You work out both times? Everybody works out both times? Just about, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh Um, I I mean, there's some like NFL guys and stuff that maybe they're on special plans. But if you're just in the like the bro sesh, Uh (laughs) Uh like if you're just there uh, with Bob just doing whatever he says to do for four or five, whatever, how many days it is, like you're going to work out at nine, you're going to work at four. Um, And uh, there was one particular day that he put strength in both. So it was like, you know, it was bench press in the morning and hack squats in the evening. And and I was like, oh, dude, you know, I was all like ready for the the ski erg and I was all ready for some metabolic stuff. And so he was like he had just written his book, which is called The Maximus Body. And he's got some really good workouts in it. But in any case, he's like, well, you know what? I just published this and I need someone to test it. I think everybody should be able to do 100 burpee pull ups in under 10 minutes. Do you think you can? And. And this was after we did, I don't even do bench press that much. And we had done a ton of benching in the morning and then we had done, um, hack squats. And what was funny too, is we did 10 reps, you added weight each set and we, we went for way longer than you would ever want to go on a set of hack. I hadn't done hack squats ever until it was a, a machine back in the day, like in the machine. What what is a hack? Is a hack squat a front squat or are they, there are those different things? It's a deadlift when the bar is behind your feet. So you're the bar is like hitting the the bar is hitting your Achilles. It's hitting your calves. Right. And you're you're gripping it like a deadlift. Right. And it's the most awkward thing you've ever done. I've I've never done that. That's very interesting. It's it's so funny because when he said we're going to do 10 by 10 hack squats, I was like the only hack squat I had ever done. I had read about it, like Arnold used to do it. Yeah. I had read about it or seen it in Pumping Iron. And then there was a machine in 2003 at the gym I worked at uh, that was called the Hack Squat Machine. And I remember it was like supposedly like a hamstring machine. And I was just like, all these things are running through my head. And then we ended up doing it. And um, so whatever, I got up to like a weight that I couldn't believe that I could actually hack squat because that's what happens to Jim Jones is push and push you and yeah. push you. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll test this 100 burpee thing. And I ended up getting like, I don't know, it wasn't a score to write home about. It was, you know, I did not break 10 minutes. But I told him, I was like, I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't done just back-breaking hack squats, I could have done better. Um, And so a couple weeks later, I did it here and got just sub 10 minutes. And so, like, I remember feeling, like you said, like when I was going to go out and do this 100 burpee pull-ups, I was like, this is going to suck. And it it sucked until rep like 65. Uh And then you start to get a little bit motivated. And once you get on the backside of 75, you're just like, this is just going to, I'm just going to knock these out. Yeah, you can see the light. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. But it's it's equally horrible. Go ahead. Rep one, rep one to rep 65 are all bad. Yes, they are like, all bad. They are all they're bad. Not, 
they're not getting better. No. I, I remember when I first did my first, that first time I did that was uh, trying to figure out as I was going what the best grip was because I, you know, I, I started to play with, okay, do I want a front grip? So I don't really have, cause jumping is an issue and, and jumping, it, it depends on how high the pull-up bar is over your head, but I was on an eight foot pull-up bar and I'm the, not a tall guy. So there was a good size jump for me. And, um, I didn't want to miss the bar, the bar, and I didn't want to necessarily right. look. And so I played. I started playing around, and the, the the position I adopted that I still think I would use today if I have the space for it is I actually stand perpendicular to the bar. Uh, well, per, I don't know. I stand with the bar um, running through my as if it would run through my body, which I guess is perpendicular to the bar. And yeah. I jump and I grab the bar with each hand on either side of the bar. So it's a funky grip pull-up. Um, but I never miss. I don't even have to look because I, I grab it like a claw, you know? So your head's just going to one side. Yeah, yep. So it's a, oh, interesting. So it's like a neutral grip. Yeah, and you twist, actually. You, you, you don't even feel like you're going to one side. You just twist and you pull your chin over the bar. Um, and, and when I do it that way, I never, I don't have to look up. I don't have to, I just, I'm very confident of, of my locate of, you know, where I am. And yeah. it just changed, it just changes things for me. So, and I figured that out in the first time I did it. So I've been doing it that way ever since. And it, and it works much better for me. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome because especially when you get just, obviously you're just getting smoked and you're starting to get a little delirious and you're trying to jump and, um, you're always like, I don't know if I'm going to miss or I'm going to like. Yeah pull and hit my teeth or yeah, right. like there's a lot of things going through your head but you're just like i'm almost done <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work if you're doing them inside of a squat rack because you then you can't you don't have space for right. a burpee but um, right uh you know like when you don't that's a it's a good way to try it totally no maybe we'll, all right hey do it this week and i'll do it this week and we'll see how we fare oh, fuck Okay. All right. You're on. I'll do it this week. I'll, I, I, I had a, um, I went stand up, uh, paddleboarding, uh, last Saturday, which is not something I do. I is actually, I've never done stand up paddleboard surfing before. I've only done flat water. And I went out with a buddy of mine, um, who brought the boards and he brought three different size boards. And it was me and one other guy that were the neophytes. And we, we went out in the surf. This is on a really small day, you know, probably one to two foot surf on the Santa Monica beach. And I really took to it. Like I really, the balance was good for me. I, you know, I used to be a paddler, so I got the movement of paddling and we got about two and a half hours in and I had been on the, the bigger, longer, wider boards and I wanted right. to give my friend's board a try, which was an eight, six, um, which is pretty small for a for a stand up right. surf paddle surfboard, right. and um, I got on it. He, now he, now one thing I didn't tell you is he didn't bring leashes for any of the boards. Oh. so so we had been because typically in his way of thinking and mine actually, we, we, leashes were safety devices. Well, they were they're devices to keep the board from getting taken in all the way to the beach, which is a is an energy suck. Um, and time suck. You don't really want to do that. And it keeps the board from hitting other people. But there were no people at this beach. So he didn't think we, we, we don't really need leashes. And I was thinking the same thing. But I was, <laughs> I was beat. And, uh, you know, it was two and a half hours into this surf session. And I was like, the, a, a, a bigger small set came in. 
and I was in the in the impact zone, and I'm like, God, I really do not want to chase this board down. I'm just going to push it over the wave. So I I pushed the board, uh, gave it a big push to get it over the wave, and uh, the push wasn't big enough. It, it stopped <laughs> and, it, and it got caught by the wave. Board comes back at me. I dove for the for the ground, uh, you know, for the underwater, but it hit my leg and kind of my my just to the the ex- the outer side of my shin. Um, and my my skin exploded. My it was a big dramatic thing underneath my wetsuit that I didn't really know oh. how dramatic it was. And until I went in and I saw blood coming out my wetsuit, and uh, I'm like, oh wow, it really, really did something. And so I so that's a, this is a long way of saying I haven't been working out for the last week because I didn't want to tempt myself by you know and and rip the stitches out or 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 anything else. Um, but I'm starting to get a little bit anxious, and I think. Um, to get back to it, you know, and I think that would be a relatively docile way to um, to do some fun stuff this week is to jump back in with a hundred burpee pull-ups. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then uh, and then just go back out on a ten footer and yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm I am actually I told when we finished that day, so I went to drove myself to urgent care, got the stitches, took videos yeah. of it, the whole thing. It was it was actually kind of funny to me the whole thing. I'm I'm like, God, I just got off easy. Like this could have been could have hit my my you know, face. Could have hit you in the head. Yeah. Absolutely absolutely. I could have been unconscious and dead. I mean, for God's sake. So, you know, I, I felt very, very um grateful that that I got off this scot free. And uh but I, I called my friend later and I said, dude, I, he, I said, don't worry about this at all because he, he was feeling bad. And I said, um, I am so in. I'm, I'm ready to go out and buy a board today because <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, right. And uh, he goes, don't buy a board. Don't buy a board. Don't buy a board. Let's, let's, let's play around with different sizes to get you the right size and you can demo some boards. And um, so I, I'm, I'm really itching to get back out there. It'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah, man, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not surprising to me that, you know, you had this experience and it makes you want to get out there more because it makes you feel alive. And, you know, even the injury, it it reminds you that you're alive because we, uh, we're always, you know, we're always good where everything is always, we're always doing a good job at avoiding anything that, that makes us feel. And, uh, sometimes it's what, what we're really after. Right. Right. Totally. Well, Joe, I, I, uh, look, I, I've got a sense that I could probably chat with you for another couple hours and not run out of things to talk about. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been very, uh, I mean, considering it's the first time we've ever spoken, um, it's a very, it's been a really natural conversation and I really appreciate your, your, your openness and willingness to share. And, um, it's been really fun hanging out. Yeah, Andy, it's been, it's been super fun and, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can already see that, I want to somehow get on the guest list uh, someday for your, for your. What, what is it called again? Not. I, I keep wanting to say Ragnar. It's not Ragnar. It's what is it? What is it called? It's called Runga. Runga. Why? What's the yeah. name from? What is that? What? So, how did you name it that? Be careful. We're going to talk for another hour. Oh, shit. Um, here we go. No. So <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> well, it's so funny in that uh, there's a yoga pose called Chaturanga. Yeah. And, right. Um, right. Basically, you know, I'm, I'm pretty flexible and, you know, if you show me a yoga pose or a yoga form or whatever you, shape, whatever you want to call it, um, I'll get into it, but I won't, but it won't be pretty like, yeah. uh, you know, someone like Jules, someone that really knows yoga, they can, you know, they'll stand on one leg with their head to their opposite knee and that leg straight out and, 
and their face will say I'm relaxed and I'm breathing, but I'll get in that same position, but my face will be like, you know, both my hamstrings are, are tearing (laughs) and, uh, and I, you know, I'm biting all sides of my mouth and, and there's all sorts, there's tears. And so, um, uh, Jules would call that my Spartan face Uh, because uh. she'd say, now get rid of the smart Spartan face because you know right. a warrior and I'm in the position and da 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 da. Right. Well, after one of the particularly demanding poses that I would force myself into, there was chaturanga, and that's like when you do a push up and you exhale and you pull through, yeah. and um, and so that's it. When I was trying to name this event, the the sort of the the week could be encapsulated by her saying uh, Spartan face, but also chaturanga right. because. Right. My life was that like, get through it, get through it, go, 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 grimace, 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 pull everything, leave both hamstrings on the table, just finish the next 30 <laughs> seconds. Right. And, uh, and then you have this experience following it where it's, you know, chaturanga and that's when you relax and you exhale. So to me, the entire week was that, that's was cool. chaturanga. It was that's that great. same vibe. And I couldn't name the event Chaturanga. Right. And right. Um, so I just named it Runga. And, oh, that's and great. really quickly. I will never forget that again. That's a, a, I mean, that's a perfect, perfect way to make that name memorable. Yeah. It's, um, so that's, that's what it is. And, um, and yeah, we sold out this year pretty darn quickly. And what's funny is I opened, and this is the first time that anyone's going to know this, but I opened what we call ridiculously early registration for 2018. (laughs) And uh, we did this. So truth be told, so we did this last year. So in January 2017, we opened Reg, even though we didn't have location, price or date announced. We didn't have any of that information, but we were like, if you guys want to register, you can. And we opened it and we sold more spots than we had. And that's why we have a second week. Um, so that offering is actually open for 2018. If anybody stumbles onto the website wow. Wow. and wants to check I'm, it out, I'm going to look that direction. I want, I want to, it sounds like something I want to check out. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah. It's rungalife.com. Rungalife.com. So where, so yeah. that's my last question is where can people engage with you, find you? Do you post your workouts anywhere? Do you, are you on Instagram or Twitter or, or, yeah, so I, I don't do Twitter, but I have Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash coach and then at Coach Joe Di on Instagram, and I'm pretty active on Instagram, probably the most active there. Um, and then yeah, RungaLife.com is my uh, website for Runga, and obviously Spartan Race is Spartan.com. So uh, come on down. Cool man. Well, again, I appreciate the time, and um, I look forward to meeting you in person at some point in, uh, in LA or Boston or somewhere. Yeah, no, I'm in Santa Monica quite a bit actually, so I'll definitely ping you next time I'm in town. Awesome. All right, man. We'll have a good rest of the weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. The Whole Life Podcast is produced by our podcast team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. The way that I've found is the best way to listen to podcasts is to subscribe so that episodes automatically get delivered right to your mobile device. You can do that in any podcast app on your phone. And hey, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic, and thanks so much for listening.